This program, of course, is presented by Pro Wrestling Illustrated, the most widely read, widely sold, and respected wrestling magazine in the world today. This is a Pro Wrestling Illustrated podcast. I am your host, PWI senior writer Al Castle, back again with my co-host, Dan Murphy. How are you, Dan? I am uh, sweating uh, like a sinner in church, uh, to, to coin a phrase. It's a, it's a balmy day here in western New York. Really? So I'm, uh, I'm toughing it out. Yeah, it's, uh, well, we're about at 87 right now. Really? Yesterday wow. we were in the 90s all day, so. I'm always fascinated yeah, when I'm, things are sort of backwards, because it's kind of cool over here in uh, New York City, Long Island area. We're like in the high 60s, low 70s. Oh, wow. Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I, I was just on the West Coast a couple times this month, and it was warmer in Buffalo than it was in Vegas when I was there, which obviously is a little bit back, backwards. And then in uh, San Jose, and it was warmer in Buffalo than in uh, San Jose, Northern California. So I don't know. Maybe uh, Western New York is the epicenter of global warming. <laughs> I'm going to go completely on a tangent and ask you a very uh, out-of-left-field question. Do, are there video stores around you? There's a couple of those, like, uh, family video. Family uh, video, yeah. I'm just learning about family around. video, yeah. and I'm fascinated by them, that they are still... <laughs> I'm just learning about this video change, family video, that are, uh, like, in rural parts of the U.S., and I saw some in western New York, and uh, I swear I want to visit some of these places just to see a video store, because it's been so long. It would, you know, there's one maybe two miles from my place, and, uh, you know, I drive by it pretty often. I don't see anyone in there, and I've never stopped in there but yeah yeah they're still out there that's so great i'd love to have a, a video store in my area it's like uh what a throwback anyhow i told you totally out of left <laughs> field <laughs> yeah actually total aside they're apparently doing really well you know um so so i'm not exactly thriving but opening new locations so it's just fascinating to me that in 2018 there are still brick and mortar video stores in parts of the country and there is a connection so, in it, that well, the thing is I'm sorry, again. Yeah, there's there's a lot of people who don't use, you know, streaming online content. You know, I, I just had to go over to my parents' house and help them set up a, a new cable box and everything. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to them about Hulu and, you know, if you want to do this, get this on demand or this with Netflix. They're like, no, just, you know, give us our, our regular seven channels and, and we're yeah. good to go. You know, so there's a lot of people out there like that. And I think for, for wrestling fans in, in our kind of age group, video stores were, were such an integral part of the wrestling fan experience growing up um, that, and, you know, I miss it. <laughs> I really do. There's, uh, there was a Blockbuster walking distance from my house. It's a 7-Eleven now, and every time I go to 7-Eleven to buy milk, uh, I sort of mourn the loss a little bit of, of the old Blockbuster. So, uh, I, had one, I had one about two blocks from my place, and what they would do is I went in there one time, they used to stamp uh, the Coliseum Home Video, yeah. the WWF Coliseum Home Videos. And uh, I went in one time when they were changing the posters, and I asked if I could have the Coliseum, you know, WWF poster that they had. Because they were just going to throw it out. Uh, so they made a thing where, I, you know, once every two weeks or so, I stopped in there, and they oh, just cool. gave me all of the old WWF Coliseum posters. That's great. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah, it was pretty cool. All right. Now, back on track. Uh, a lot to talk about uh, here. Uh, later on, uh, we're going to be hearing from uh, kind of a, an unusual guest, um, Evan Roberts, who is a uh, sports radio show host here in the New York area, WFAN. Uh, the uh, what is the name of the show? I've got to admit, not to being a huge sports radio fan. 
but I am now a fan uh, very much of Evan. Um, I know he does uh, middays with Joe Benigno on um, WFAN 660 AM here in, in New York, and also a big wrestling fan and has a wrestling uh, podcast. And uh, Stu Sachs, our boss, had the idea of, of getting together with him and kind of talking about mainstream coverage of uh, pro wrestling and how that's changing. So we had a really fun conversation uh, about a week ago that you'll listen to here. Um, and it kind of dovetails with what we're going to be talking about uh, in just a moment, and that is uh, the, the TV deals that WWE has uh, scored. I guess, I don't know how official they are. They're, they're yet to announce them officially, but uh, pretty uh, well-reported and sourced out there. Uh, two TV deals totaling, I think, about $2.4 billion um, in, in revenue. And uh, I guess the big headline of that is WWE coming to Fox with uh, SmackDown. And I think fair to say the biggest story of the year and maybe the biggest story in recent history. I mean, we're really talking about something that could transform the industry like few things um, in recent years. And uh, we'll dive into that in, in just a moment. Uh, before that, let's talk about the latest issue of Pro Wrestling Illustrated magazine. Uh, it's got Ronda Rousey on the cover and Triple H. Let me grab it. We've got it here somewhere. Actually, no, it's another room. Anyway, it is the August issue, I believe. And, uh, yeah, it's got um, your WrestleMania Real Winners and Losers feature. It's got my uh, hot seat interview with Scott Moore and Don Callis, the creative heads behind uh, Impact Wrestling, and so much more. What else is in there, uh, Dan? Off the top of your head, do you know? Let me see if I can pull it up. Yeah. You know, I mean, even just the, the hot seat interview and the WrestleMania analysis, I mean, that's worth the, the price of itself. Course. I mean, uh, Callis and Demore, I mean, they're, you know, the visionaries behind what's going on with Impact. And, and you talked about how, obviously, the WWE TV deals are going to potentially change the industry and, 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 and are big news. But, you know, there are other companies out there, too. And, and uh, Demore and Callis are guys who are right at the forefront of, of the changes and the um, you know, uh, the, the new things that, that Impact is trying to reestablish itself as a viable alternative to WWE. Yeah, I think one of the, the, the fun things that, that stick out to my head from that interview was um, I remember asking both Don and Scott, you know, what they would say to lapsed TNA fans who used to watch the product and kind of disappeared over the years. And they had uh, two very different messages. And I... Um, I, I won't spoil it. I'll, I'll make people go out and, and check out the issue. Uh, but they were not on the same page about that. And I think um, kind of their, not that they were at odds, but their, their different views on it, uh, I think really tells the story of where TNA is at. Uh, not at all a bad thing. I mean, I think it, it's a fascinating insight to uh, their, their respective views on the wrestling business. So uh, definitely worth checking out. And the other thing is the PWI poll, which is actually much of the issue. How many questions is it all together in the poll? 50 questions. 50 questions. Do you uh, dig in there into, like, I know there's certainly questions about business, but there's anything that kind of forecast the, the, the change in the TV uh, landscape? I don't think we've gotten to the TV landscape, per se. Um, I think that, that we had, I mean, you look at, you know, how does the, the, the current look, the current day look compared to five years back yeah. and things along those lines. Uh, but I don't believe there were any specific questions that dealt with the TV situation. I, yeah. Not that I can recall. Because at that point, it was still very up in the air, too. And, I mean, we did select a, a panel of our subscribers to, to poll for the, the PWI poll. And with everything being so up in the air 
and, and the you know the casual fan, how much insight could they really have if if you know? Right. So I think that we kind of steer clear of that in general. I liked uh, seeing the PWI podcast come up in in the poll uh, on the, uh, yeah. the question about podcasts they listen to. So we got to get all the way to the top by next year. Well, we'll see. Maybe that's wishful thinking, uh, but get to see us place at least. Um, and uh, while we're we're here, Dan, we were just joking before we came on. We were just we've been talking a lot lately. We talked last night, the night before that, uh, and that's because uh, not not the issue after this, but the issue after that, right? So we're still a couple yeah. issues away, but this is all to say we've begun work on the 2018 PWI 500, already met um, to discuss it. We, we've got a good chunk of it. Uh, tentatively, I mean, I think it's fair to call it a draft and subject to some changes, uh, but starting to, to take shape. Uh, I thought last year's issue was really a historic monumental issue with um, our choice of uh, Okada as the number one ranked wrestler. First time ever we had a Japanese wrestler. I think the first time we had a non-American wrestler. Um, and uh, what, how do you think this one's shaping up? No spoilers, obviously, but in terms of newsworthiness, what, what's kind of the, the big story you think that'll be coming out of this year's uh, PWI 500? Well, actually, I, I believe that Bret Hart won it once. It oh, that's right. Okay. So yep. He had a Canadian. But and yeah, maybe Benoit did Japan, too, right? I think I think Chris Benoit might. Yeah, I believe he did. Yeah. I believe he did. So I mean, we did have some Canadians as number one. So, uh, but yeah, I, I think what what happened that we've begun seeing already is that this is a very complicated uh, year. Um, you look at somebody like I mean, as we were trying to put together the top ten and, and so on, you get somebody like Brock Lesnar, and you decide, you know, here's a guy who's been utterly dominant, but he's only had 16 matches within the grading period so far. Um, you know, does that inactivity hurt him or or not? You look at somebody like Enzo Amore, who was in the middle of a cruiserweight title reign, um, was released, he hasn't wrestled since, but where does that leave him? And then you look at somebody like Neville, who is a similar type of situation in different circumstances, but he's been inactive for a, a period of time. Uh, Dean Ambrose yep. is another guy. I mean, inactivity and, and where somebody should be, how much that should affect their, their ranking is something that we always have to kind of wrestle with, no pun intended. But this year, I think it's, it's even more so than usual. And uh, the other thing that we've seen is some of the guys, when they are having a very good year on the Independence or Ring of Honor, guys like, uh, for example, Kyle O'Reilly, uh, Ricochet, others, uh, by the time they sign with WWE and they get into NXT, there's typically a little bit of a lag time and they have to reestablish themselves in NXT. Yeah. And as a trend, I think we're seeing some guys who were highly ranked last year who've actually, you know, progressed to the next level, but their ranking will most likely drop a little bit to reflect that little transitional period. Yeah. Uh, so those are the little nuances that we're seeing emerge so far. And as we get further into the ranking, I'm sure more, uh, more trends will begin to develop. Yeah, I was starting to think about that uh, this morning because we got to put together like our takes on the 500, and and the word that came to my mind um, that that I I think fits what you're talking about, and it makes me wonder even if um, I don't know if it should be an official part of the criteria, but I think it's certainly part of the discussion is momentum, right? Um, and uh, there's a difference between. Uh, being inactive and not having momentum or being active and, and having momentum. Uh, and there's a difference. And, and so even when you talk about uh, uh, periods of inactivity, hiatuses, uh, injuries, I think even when they happened, um, 
we'd be lying if we said we didn't take that to account. So you, you take a guy like Jeff Hardy, who had probably missed as much time in the evaluation period as a Dean Ambrose, right? Um, in as much as how many months over the evaluation period were they actually wrestling? Um, and yet, I think it's fair to say um, that we expect Jeff Hardy to rank higher than Dean Ambrose. And uh, some of it's got to do with momentum, right? I mean, coming up on the, the end of the evaluation period, kind of the finish line, he ends strong with the U.S. title with a comeback right after WrestleMania with some important matches where Ambrose, uh, it looks like, will end it sitting at the sidelines as he did pretty much the second half of the evaluation period. So um, it's interesting. And Lesnar, I think, is the sort of the most interesting case because he is a case for a guy who has had momentum throughout I mean, that's pretty much how you describe any Brock Lesnar match is momentum, right? I mean, he's this unstoppable force, uh, but doesn't wrestle a whole lot. So um, how do you sort of account for all that? It, it, it's interesting. It's It's been an inter- interesting discussion the last few days, and I think it will be as the, uh, the list takes uh, shape over the next several weeks. Uh, so again, what do you want to do? Uh, you, if you don't want to miss the PWI 500 issue or uh, the poll issue, that's available right now. And we just put to bed uh, the issue after this, the October issue. Uh, that's fair to say for me, it's the most work I've done uh, for a magazine in a long time. Um, I have a feature on uh, celebrating uh, SummerSlam's uh, 30 years, 30th anniversary. We did uh, the best match of each SummerSlam for the first 30 SummerSlams. So uh, that was a good deal of work. I got a hot seat interview with, uh, I don't know how much of this we could even talk about, but I'm sure it's fine. That's what the podcast is fine <laughs> is for. Um, I got a hot seat interview with uh, WWE Cruiserweight Champion Cedric Alexander. Um, I've got a feature that we talked about in the, uh, the last uh, podcast here about uh, MMA stars transitioning into uh, pro wrestling. And uh, what else? My column and maybe some other stuff. I'm not sure. How about you? What, what have you got coming up? This is a, one of my lightest issues. Okay, well, there you go. I picked up your uh, so, yeah, I've <laughs> got, slack. Uh, I, I have my, uh, my column where I talk a little bit about uh, my experience at the Cauliflower Alley Club earlier this month. Um, and I think just that and the international report. And I haven't even filed that yet because I'm waiting for the uh, Best of the Super Juniors tournament right. to conclude so I can kind of lead with that. Yeah. So uh, I think that's about all I've got for this issue. Yeah, what's fun about this one is because, uh, and I think I've said it here, we're kind of in between our big sort of tentpole projects, um, the 500, the poll, the year-end awards, um, the report cards. Uh, this is the the one kind of off issue where, where there aren't any of those. And it's fun because you get to kind of like spread your wings a little bit, try different things. That's what, how we came up with the idea for the SummerSlam feature. Uh, so it'll be a, a fun issue still. Uh, several weeks, I think, before it drops. This this latest one just came out, so you still got a while, but um, you don't want to miss that one. You don't want to miss the current one. Certainly don't want to miss the 500 um, or the uh, the year-end uh, awards issue uh, coming, uh, I guess, early next year. So the thing to do is to subscribe. Um, the longer you subscribe for, the deeper the discount. You could get half off uh, the cover price. Uh, and what you want to do is go to pwi-online.com. You could do it all there, uh, whether you're interested in a print subscription or a digital subscription, which comes faster and is also a little cheaper and looks great on your mobile device or your laptop or what have you. Uh, again, pwi-online.com. All right, don't want to waste uh, too much time. So let's talk about this TV deal, uh, Dan. Big picture, uh, Raw is staying on USA. Um, they got a pretty big bump in the rights fees 
uh, from NBC Universal, which is the uh, the parent company of USA, to to keep Raw uh, there, uh, I, where, where it's been for most of its 25 year run. And I think the big story is that they they split the properties and SmackDown uh, jumps over to Fox, and there's a lot of thought now that SmackDown really becomes the the A show because it's on network television on Big Fox. Um, it's going to uh, reportedly move to Friday nights uh, live. And uh, a contract that I believe is worth a billion dollars over um, four years, I guess. So the total size of of the two um, TV deals is uh, close to two and a half billion dollars. Dwarfs any other uh, revenue stream that they've got coming in. The network, pay-per-views, what's left of pay-per-views, house shows, merchandise. Everything becomes a distant, distant second. And really, WWE becomes a television production house um, more than anything. And, uh, you know, again, it, 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 there's going to be such a difference between their their top revenue st- uh, stream, which is the TV rights and everything else, um, that the the impact on um, the product and really the industry as a whole uh, it could be immeasurable, you know, in terms of how they do business, how they book. Uh, there, there's so many different facets uh, to, to explore what do you, what's your big takeaway from it? Well, I mean, first of all, if you look back historically, I mean, back when Vince McMahon uh, Jr. was beginning to take his company at national and challenge the other established territories, what he had to do a lot of times was buy television rights in the different marketplaces. So he would go in and he would have to buy the airtime to try to compete against the local promotion and eventually kind of drive them out, establish himself by paying for the airtime. And you look how in 30, 35 years, it's gone from having to buy individual market share in, in all those different little TV markets to a multi-billion dollar deal with two you know, national syndication or companies like this. It's really incredible where the business has gone and where the WWE, WWF, WWE has gone in that time period. Um, right now, I don't know what it means. I mean... There, there's so many things that, that come from this. Number one, the WWE stock is higher than it's ever been uh, based on the news of this. Uh, Vince McMahon, the McMahon family, the, the shareholders who are heavily vested are, you know, they're, they're extremely happy about this. They're, they're wealthier than, than they were two weeks ago. Um, but it's also one of these things where WWE is, it's, if, if you ever wanted to think of wrestling as being, something on the fringe being its own kind of unique entity. Like those days are gone. This mm-hmm. is as corporate as you get. Um, you know, it's now a, a partner with Fox. Fox is touting this as being family friendly. If you had any hope of the edgy attitude era type of content coming back, there's no chance of it. Um, they're, they're really trying to make this a, you know, just a mainstream appeal show and that has some kind of good and bad that comes with it. Uh, certainly, wrestling's past has had plenty of things that, that wouldn't fly in, in 2018. And it's just, I'm afraid that we're going to get a more sanitized, watered-down product than what we currently have um, in an effort to kind of keep the TV money flowing and keep the people at Fox and NBC happy which as a wrestling fan who, who kind of wants things to be a little bit edgy and, and dangerous and unpredictable, 
that has me a little bit concerned. But for the long-term stakes of the company, I mean, it's you couldn't have better news if you were a WWE shareholder. The, the flip side of that, I think it's an interesting point you, you bring up, is that maybe the stuff that we're used to, that is sort of classic Vince McMahon, uh, maybe there's going to be more of a system of checks and balances. Uh, I, I don't know that that flies anymore when you've got big league TV producers having some oversight. Just just as an example, um, the, uh, uh, the the segment last week with uh, Bobby Lashley's sisters and Sami Zayn, awful, right? I mean, kind of universal. I don't even think this is up for debate. I mean, just sort of an objectively terrible, awful segment. Uh, maybe it's wishful thinking that that Fox would even be watching that closely, but you wonder if uh, a a more professional television production uh, operation sees that on a script and says, "What? No, we're not doing this. You know, th- this is absurd." Now, the flip side of that is, I would expect that as far as as wrestling content matchups. Uh, obviously how, how matches play out. I don't expect Fox to have much of a hand uh, in, in that, but maybe some of the other stuff, and maybe some of that's for the better. I mean, let, let's not um, fool ourselves. A, a lot of what WWE has a, a reputation, a history for putting out there, there there's a history of, of uh, uh, offensive content. Uh, lowbrow humor. Very yeah. lowbrow, yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, so you would think... Again, having to answer to a, a major television network, maybe some of that stuff um, falls away. The, the other part of it, in terms of what the TV presentation looks like, how big a deal SmackDown becomes now, and uh, again, how how more important the revenue from TV is than even the network, you wonder if it changes the way um, they book in terms of building TV to uh, what was pay-per-views, what is now the network specials, SmackDown becomes so much more infinitely important to their their bottom line. One week of SmackDown, even compared to uh, a network special, a pay-per-view, does that change in the long term? Do we see now the payoff of feuds and angles and and basically the, 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 the dream matches, the, the pay-per-view main events, do they just play out on television now? And that could happen. They could change the the um, <clears throat> basically the content that's on the WWE network and begin to move the main uh, the main pay per views or the special, like you said, to SmackDown and replace them with more original programming on the network. And you know that may be a way to try to keep your current fan base invested in the network. You give them NXT, give them uh, 205 Live or whatever else you want to put out there on the, the network to give them some wrestling content. Uh, as well as the archival stuff and the original programming, and then just move all the other stuff on SmackDown. It, it's definitely something to do. But again, if if SmackDown is going to go, I think you said Friday nights. Yeah, is that the that's point? the talk? Yeah, I mean Friday nights is a death knell. I mean, you know, in in television, um, you know, a lot of shows, the sitcoms in particular. I remember, you know, when in the eighties, in the nineties. Uh, Thursday was the big night for sitcoms. Uh, it was established with the Cosby Show and then Cheers and uh, Seinfeld and so on. I think maybe Friends was on Thursday mm-hmm. too. Uh, but I remember that you know as people talked about a new show coming out, if they were put on Friday nights, it was it was dead because yeah. that's when people go out. That's when people are away. 
And if WWE's demographic, if they're trying to do that 18 to 35 or 18 to 49 year old uh, male or even female demographic, but heavily male is, is where they skew, I'd assume. Well, I don't assume, I know. But uh, that Friday night is when that audience is not at home watching television. Um, yeah. You know, so it, it's very possible that maybe Fox is overpaying for this content. And if, if, if the meter begins to go the other way, right now there's kind of this mutual happiness. Everyone's very pleased with the deal. If the ratings don't live up to Fox's expectation, if the ad revenue isn't enough to sustain what they're paying out, uh, there could be a lot of blowback on WWE to change the product and, and make it work. And if that happens, that's when you see the executives begin to exert more power over WWE programming. And that's something that, again, you know, I, I tend to see the, the glass half full. I'm, I'm more pessimistic than optimistic. But it's, it's a reality that, that has to be kind of considered that we may be looking at an era where, you know, some guys, it, Rupert Murdoch, could be writing WWE storylines at this point <laughs> uh, next year. Yeah, and and you know part of that is that for for us, for wrestling journalists, for wrestling fans, for uh, the WWE itself, this is this gigantic transformational uh, uh, television deal. For Fox, it's their latest Friday night programming venture, right? And uh, as you touched on, when they try something on any given night, and uh, you know, I think a good example. This isn't Fox, but but years back, the original XFL. Uh, and how much money NBC had invested in in uh, that project. It aired, uh, ratings underperformed after a few weeks. They pulled the plug that quickly. Uh, and that's the the potential when you are on uh, network television, right? So in USA, they were never going to go anywhere because even um, uh, Raw and SmackDown, disappointing in the ratings compared to, to the past. So, so Raw's ratings have been among the lowest in, in history of, of the show, but it's still better than anything else that USA is doing because they're, they're a cable uh, uh, network uh, that has had better days. But uh, yeah, Friday night on, on Fox, when, when Fox has so many different options and what they're used to is um, the NFL, right? I mean, major league sports, UFC, which WWE is sort of replacing uh, on Fox. Uh, So, yeah, they're going to have some really big shoes to fill in. And as uh, you touched on, I think some really high expectations. So, And it cuts both ways. I mean, th- th- there are things about that that will improve the product. Um, the other part of it is, I, get, I think there's going to be, as you touched on, a lot less patience when, when things are not going well. A, cu- a couple other things that this could manifest into. What do you think happens to the brand split? I mean, is Fox going to accept that half of WWE's stars and right now at least and this could definitely change next year after uh, if they do a, a uh, what they call it a shakeup after wrestlemania wouldn't be surprised to see the big names move over to smackdown but either which way is fox going to accept for for whatever it is a, a billion dollars not having half of wwe's stars i don't know yeah it, it's i mean i guess the the key is what the ratings are i mean you know, if they're content with, um, you know, having a, a TV show that, and we've talked about this before, I, I use the comparison once, it's a dated comparison, but uh, WWE is, is ice capades. Uh, they, uh, prevent, they promote themselves as an event that you have to go and see that supersedes the talent on the bill. You hear WWE is coming to town and, and you want to go. It's a secondary thought that, oh, John Cena is going to be there, Roman Reigns is going to be there, whoever's going to be on the card. It's, 
it's an event and that's that's done on purpose so if they do have somebody who can't make it or you know doesn't appear or leaves whatever uh, they still draw based on brand recognition and if they can have superior ratings with the brand recognition and the production and just it as an event on television and the star power doesn't matter, I'm sure Fox will be happy. But again, once that dwindles, if it dwindles at all, you'd have to expect that they'd have to look over at NBC and say, well, if John Cena's on that show, I want him on my show. If, if you know, whoever is the big draw over there, I want him over here. So, I mean, how does that think of it in terms of a, you know, the old-fashioned booker or the writers or something like that, if you're trying to look at a storyline a year down the road or something that's going to take six months, eight months to build and plan towards, I mean, how do you kind of do that in an era like this where you might be playing the multiple masters? You might be trying to appease the NBC, trying to appease Vince McMahon, and trying to appease Fox and and, and make coherent storylines that make sense and, and work, you know, months ahead of time. It can be a real tricky um, path that they're going down. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely parts of this that uh, are reason for concern. And, right, I, I don't expect them to to know who AJ Styles is or to say, uh, you know, we want the Usos on our product or, or what have you. I guess they'd have the Usos. Uh, but Ronda Rousey, Brock Lesnar, John yeah. Cena, um, The Undertaker, if he's still around. I mean, I think these are names that they're familiar with and they're going to want to showcase on, on SmackDown. And uh, the other part of it is that NBC universal is paying a lot of money too. Um, and they're going to want them. So you, you wonder if um, the result is abandoning the brand split yet again. Uh, and what does that do for the product? And, you know, the concerns about uh, doing away with the brand split is the impact on storytelling and booking. But that's another aspect of this, and, and it's one that I explored in my conversation with uh, Evan Roberts that uh, you'll hear about in a little bit, is that, you know, you and I and all the pundits uh, always weigh in on on booking and, and the, the logic of booking and mistakes, and this bit of storytelling doesn't make sense, and this was rushed, or this person is, is not the right person for this role. Does it even matter anymore? You know, when, when you're talking uh, $2.5 billion in uh, television rights fees, I feel like they're in the position, or at least they may think they are, to just give everybody the finger and say, <laughs> clearly we know what we're doing. And so I wonder what, what happens to uh, the creative side of things. Whether, on, on one hand, be, because uh, there's new accountability to Fox, uh, if nobody else, there you can look at it as um, they're really going to have to you know get whipped into shape and and get disciplined about uh, the way they advance storylines and um, you know and and book ahead that kind of thing. The other part of it is they'll be uh, less efficient than ever, and some of the stuff that has driven us crazy over the years taking a uh, a John Cena uh, versus Nakamura and putting it on SmackDown with one week's notice or AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan and, and putting it on, on SmackDown with about an hour and a half's notice uh, and, and that kind of inefficient uh, booking, whether that gets worse than ever because every week becomes about delivering the best you can for Fox. Yeah, it'll be interesting too because Fox as a entity, I mean, they, they have done sports. They've, they've done sports before. They've done UFC. They've done 
and UFC might be the closest example, but <clears throat> UFC isn't running weekly. Uh, it's not doing live events every week. And Almost. This is, well, they, well maybe, they, maybe they are, but I mean, certainly not on the scale of, of the WWE. Not, with, not with three and four times a week, doing. yeah. Right. Um, but if, if there's no off-season with wrestling. You know, this isn't a new program that they're getting. In football, you have the, the season, then you've got the off-season. Hockey, baseball, all the other major sports that they're trying to compare this to, you have that off-season, and everything builds throughout the season. You're building towards the, the end. You're building. There's nothing like that with the WWE product today. And it'll be interesting to see if, if that will change, if they'll try to do something where uh, they, they try to – build storylines, whether it's up to WrestleMania and, and then kind of start over again or, or what, uh, you know, this is kind of new territory for Fox to, to try to keep people, um, you know, watching and, and, and dial in the way that they do for professional sports. So it'll be the other thing. I think the other challenge is again, going to it being potentially on a Friday night. Um, I go out to bars and restaurants pretty often and, You'll, you'll always have sports on, on the TVs. So you, you've got baseball, you have the Stanley Cup Finals last night, things like that. And whether or not you're watching, you're there and you're kind of noticing the TV and it's, it's expected, you know. Uh, I never, ever see wrestling on anywhere. It, no. it doesn't have that same appeal. And if it is on, there's always somebody who's, oh, what is this crap? You mm-hmm. know, is there anything better on or whatever? And if Fox is trying to, and they have said this in all the interviews that I've seen, it's like, oh, we're, we really believe in, in pro sports and the WWE brand and whatever, whatever. They have to find a way to make wrestling a little sexier than the masses because it's still very much a niche product. And if they think it's going to perform at, at that type of level, commensurate with those other sports entities, man, you know, again, if it's Friday night and, and you go out to the bar with your friends, you're not going to see it on the TV most likely like you would virtually any other sport that would be airing in that time slot. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, a lot of the stuff I, I, uh, uh discussed with Evan and, and, uh, we'll hear in, in just a moment. Uh, but you know, I guess my understanding is part of the whole Fox arrangement is that there'll be other TV properties. There, there's talk of, um, some kind of sports center like, uh, recap show on FS1, what will that be? Will it will it just be basically, you know, talking smack or this week in WWE something like that, um, or will it be, uh, I don't know, Fox Sports broadcasters talking about WWE? It's all tricky. I mean, it really is a whole new world. And and uh, um, as, as you touched on, I mean, a a major network like Fox buying into WWE um, and and kind of putting their stamp on it. Uh, it, it, we can't, uh, you know, emphasize enough what a big deal that is. This is, it, it, it's a huge, huge deal. Um, the, the last point uh, on this, all that new money coming in, again, dwarfing the revenue they're they're expected, uh, they, they usually have. I, I mean, I think I heard it's something like, I think their annual revenue goes from thirty something uh, million in profits uh, to the hundreds of millions. I, I, I forget what it is, but. A huge, huge uh, increase. WWE becomes a much more profitable company. What that? What should that mean to the men and women uh, performers, the superstars, the wrestlers uh, of WWE? And there's been some discussion out there about about that and how, uh, if at all, they should share in these riches. 
Well, I mean, ideally, and now's the time to finally drop the entire uh, mirage and, and, and stop referring to them as, um, you know, freelance employees. Independent basically. contractors. Uh, yeah. Independent contractors, yeah. Uh, and offer health insurance. Offer make the 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 workers uh, salaried employees who, you know, have direct deposit and have health insurance, have all the benefits that you would get with any other corporation of that type of size. Um, I mean, that would be ideal. That would be fantastic. Uh, whether or not WWE would want to go down that road, I don't know. But certainly they have the money to at this point. Um, but uh, I mean, I, I'd love to see that happen. The other thing is one of the reasons why CM Punk had left, and one of many reasons that, that he talked about, was he had expressed some concern about the, the pay structure following the move to the network. Yeah. Because the pay-per-views and WrestleMania in particular were the big payouts, and if you were going to eliminate that revenue stream immediately, then the, the, the boys were getting a, less of a, a payout after the pay-per-views. Now, I don't know, I mean... I don't know what the guys are making after the pay-per-views on the network or anything else, but it, it definitely affected the way that they were paid. And this has got to affect it as well. Um, it's just that who knows how it will affect it. Um, again, hopefully, you know, they'll, they'll share that a little bit more and, and the, you know, the money won't just go to the investors and the and family. I mean, the guys in the ring and the girls in the ring are the ones who are taking the bumps night in and night out. Um, and I know WWE does great with the charitable organizations and with the offering of uh, rehab and things like that to, to current and former employees. But now the next step is to get rid of the independent contractor label and uh, ideally give health insurance and other benefits. Yeah, what, what you hope uh, happens is that there's a realization um, by the performers of the leverage they have in this situation. Um, and I remember, I think it was uh, uh, hearing Bully Ray uh, talk on the Busted Open radio show, and I think he was talking about a negotiation he once had with Vince, or maybe he was talking to Vince about his negotiation with somebody else. I don't know if it was related to Brock Lesnar or, or something. And he quoted Vince as saying uh, something to the effect of, um, you know, th the truth is if, if a wrestler ever has leverage over me in a situation, he'd be a fool not to take it. Uh, and this feels like that moment, right? I mean, and there's always been talk over the years of what would happen if the night of WrestleMania, you know, the entire locker room held up of, of McMahon and said, you know, we're not going out there until these terms are met, whatever they are. You know, let's bring in a, uh, a union attorney to come in here and, and discuss uh, organizing us, that kind of thing. Um, and with as big as stakes as there are in these TV deals, and the Fox one in particular, um, you, you've got to think that that opportunity for leverage on the performer side is bigger than ever. And um, you wonder what, if anything, they make of that. I mean, I think the reality is, historically, uh, pro wrestlers and WWE employees in particular, there is this feeling of, where it's such a privilege and an honor to work here and you know we'll work for peanuts because this is the the big leagues and we'll do anything and and uh, so you begin with that and and past that I do expect WWE to throw them some kind of bone I mean you've got that much more revenue coming in maybe all salaries take a little bit of a bump everybody gets a you know little more per night that kind of thing and maybe that appeases them. Maybe that makes them feel like, all right, you know, they did right by us. 
uh, but you feel like there's an opportunity here for something more, you know. And I'm not talking about, you know, taking WWE to the cleaners or anything like that, but just, yeah, writing some things that haven't made sense in, in a long, long time. I mean, it, it, if you told, and, and I bet you the folks at Fox would be surprised to hear that, uh, you know, these wrestlers who have action figures in in the toy stores and our household names are going to the Alamo and renting a car out of their own pocket and then booking a yep. hotel, um, you know, and trying to find sharing, the most affordable you know, hotel. Two to four guys per room so they can keep their, their, you know, they share the bills. And, yeah, I mean, they're doing all this out of pocket. Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, you mentioned the ice capades before. I don't know that the ice capades were doing that. You know, if I, I bet those ice capades skaters were getting their hotel and, and transport uh, covered. So, um, yeah. And this isn't in the big picture with that much more money coming in. Uh, that kind of kind of thing, does it make that much of a difference? And there might be a way that, uh, you know, they get to have their cake and eat it too, where they could keep that independent contractor status. WWE can for whatever benefits uh, are in it for them and keeping them that way, but also kind of uh, appeasing them, doing enough, bending over uh, enough to satisfy them, maybe with with the travel and expenses and uh, hotels and some health benefits, um, and everybody wins. You know, other, otherwise uh, they could stand to look really bad here. So anyhow, um yeah, I think that's it. I mean, I think there's going to be a lot more. Again, they're they're yet to even make this official. So, uh, and and either way, I think it's more than a year away. I think they're talking about the fall of 2019. Um, this all happening. So it's going to be a fascinating next year as this all comes together. Okay, Dan, thank you so much. This was uh, a pleasure as always. Yes, absolutely. And uh, I'll get back out of the air conditioning and back out in the heat <laughs> and. Uh... We'll do this again sometime soon. <laughs> yes. Uh, now for more on this topic, uh, let's hear from uh, another really big wrestling fan, uh, a knowledgeable voice, and also uh, the voice of Middays on Sports Radio 66 WFAN. It's Evan Roberts. You talk about wrestling on uh, your show, uh, your Midday show on WFAN, and fair to say that not long ago, that would have been almost unheard of. And, um, you know, my, my day job also working for uh, a, a quote-unquote legit news organization. Over the years, I've, I've made all kinds of pitches for wrestling stuff. And, um, you know, they're always kind of scoffed at. And, and, again, that's changing. You see ESPN doing segments on, on pro wrestling. You see the Andre the Giant um, documentary on HBO doing huge numbers. Um, as, as a guy who's kind of got a foot in, in both worlds, uh, sort of mainstream sports coverage, but also a wrestling fan, uh, what do you think is behind, is behind that? And has it taken any uh, a doing on your part to convince um, your bosses, other people you work with, that there, there is a market for this among, you know, legit sports fans? It's funny. I, I can't figure out when it started. But it seems like over the last three or four years, they have made a push where, and it comes from the WWE, they've made a push to make themselves mainstream. And I'm not sure how they did it. I don't know if it's when they became a publicly traded company. I know the benefit to it. The benefit is that you get more eyeballs to it. I noticed on my end that I've always loved wrestling. I never grew out of it. My dad always told me I would grow out of it. He was wrong. I never, ever grew out of it. And it was more like this niche thing. 
and I've always tried to talk about it on the air, and there were wrestling fans like myself who occasionally would try to sneak it in. But it's true. Over the last few years, I don't have to sneak anything in. I mean, I could just, yeah. I could just talk about it. My bosses don't seem to mind. And it's, it's odd how it's happened. And I don't necessarily like it because there's something cool about wrestling being wrestling and, you know, the WWE not having to produce themselves to where they try to appeal to be mainstream. And it feels like it's hurt the product. So even though, sure, it's cooler that for me selfishly, I can be on Sports Talk Radio and talk more about it, and it's more accepting, the product's not as good. So I, yeah. I, I think it correlates to a degree because if you're – let's be honest. Can you have a – and I'm not saying this was good – but can you have a Katie Vick angle and appeal to the mainstream? And the answer is you can't. So in a way, you can't have the, that kind of weird creative stuff like they used to. Yeah, yeah. I heard uh, uh, Bubba Ray uh, Dudley talking about it on his show that he does on SiriusXM, uh, Busted Open with uh, Dave LaGreca, uh, a good friend of mine. And, and somebody asked about uh, what – there was a question about wrestling being mainstream. Will it ever become mainstream again? And people talk about kind of the big boom periods, whether it was in, in the eighties and kind of Hulkamania and rock and wrestling. And then later the, um, the, the attitude era. But I, but he made a good point that sort of quietly there has been this, this third period and in some ways more mainstream than, than ever before. And I think some of the things we were just talking about speak to that, but, but Bubba talked about how, John Cena hosts the Today Show regularly now. I mean, when would you have ever thought something like that would have happened? Or um, not unusual to see WWE stars on Jimmy Kimmel or, uh, you know, doing the late night circuit um, or, or John Cena in, in various movies. So it, it is sort of like this whole uh, mainstream period snuck up on us. And, and maybe that's because the other ways of measuring wrestling success, I mean, those metrics – aren't doing real great, right? So at the same time that they're, they're supposedly mainstream, ratings are like at 20-year lows. So um, right. what, what do you think is the, the truth about how successful pro wrestling is right now? Well, it's successful in that, here, you go back 15 years ago. Go back to the Attitude Era, and, and everybody knew who Stone Cold was and who The Rock was, but I don't think like the mainstream knew a lot of the other characters that people fell in love with. Old school Triple H, not, you know, the new Paul Levesque corporate Triple H, DX, you know, things like that. And I think what you have now is I'll talk to my radio partner, Joe Beningo, who doesn't like wrestling, doesn't know wrestling. But guess what? He knows who Roman Reigns is. He knows who, you know, he's heard of these guys. So in a way, they're more effective at getting the people out there, like you said, because they're on TV. They're on television shows. John Cena is, you know, Mr. Everything. He's everywhere. So They've been more successful in getting guys' names out there, but for the diehard wrestling fan, are they watching as much religiously? And the answer is probably not. And it could be twofold. Number one, the product's not as good. But here's the other thing, and I find myself doing this. There are times in which Monday Night Raw is so boring that I actually – I watch wrestling against Monday Night Raw. I'll put on the WWE Network and watch, you know, freaking Clash of the Champions from 30 years ago, you know? I did that so, with, with uh, Monday Night Raw, yeah. See, <laughs> that's the thing. So they've given us so many, and the network is like one of the greatest inventions of all time. 
So you can watch anything you want. So you can still be enjoying wrestling, but not watching the current product they give you at the exact same time. So I think they've done a better job of getting themselves out there where people know who all of these superstars are, but the product is not as good. So we're not as locked in as we used to. And so they're doing one thing positively, which is getting their name out there and becoming more mainstream. The negative is the diehard fan looks at the product and says, nah, I'll skip Raw tonight. It's pretty unappealing because it's three hours and I'm tired and I'd rather, you know, be able to use my finger on my iPad to go through a Monday Night Raw from 1997. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the the, the downside of that, right, is that, you know, all the, the pundits who talk about, the, the, the myself included, about this is done all wrong, all wrong and this is not the right way to book it. This is the right way to book it. This is, goes against um, the, the, the right way of, of doing it. And then you go and see um, the, the news of these new TV deals that they're, uh, they've struck with USA and now potentially with Fox, you know, record numbers, whatever. I don't know if they're tripling or quadrupling um, their TV rights fees. There's no reason for them to be doing anything differently than, than the way they're doing it if, if they can present wrestling the way they do and revenues um, are just going up, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's why I was, I was talking to my dad the other day. I'm not big into the stock market, but my dad is, and he is telling me how the WWE stock continues to go up and up and up. And I, I texted him because I said, hey, I heard this SmackDown's going to Fox and they're going to make a ton of money. I bet you the, I bet you the, the number is going to go up even more. And I was thinking about how successful everything is, how much money they're making, the stock. And it's so true. Usually back in the day, if the product was bad, and obviously WWE went through plenty of downtimes, they would have to respond to people not watching their show or not going to live events or yeah, buying pay-per-views. Or on, on pay-per-views or on TV. Yep. Yeah, I mean, there was – and, right, they, they had to respond because they need to get those numbers back up. They don't have to now. It's so true. They, they don't have to do anything because they're making so much freaking money. So the product can continue to suck or get worse or <laughs> God knows what. And it really, it just doesn't matter. And here's the other thing. They don't have competition. They can say their competition is everything, all entertainment. Okay. There's no real wrestling competition. And so because they're making so much money, there's no motivation from the writing team to get better and better and better. It's not like they're competing with Monday Nitro. It's not like they're competing for every rating number against another wrestling company. So in one way, it's kind of bad for us as the diehards that's going to watch anyway because there's no motivation for, the, for, yeah. for them to be creative and get better. But do you think it's all that bad? I mean, I, I'm uh, an old school fan that may be different than other old school fans, and not that down um, on the product. I, I think, I mean, right now, this month, this week, it, it, it may not have been uh, particularly good. But in terms of, of eras, I think this era is is better than uh, a lot over the the last ten years. Roman Reigns aside, I think that's just a, a colossal flop. But there is uh, a lot to like right now. Are, are you really down on the product? No. No, yeah, I, I don't want to come across that way. I know I probably have because I talk about how it's not as good and it's not this. The truth is I've thought about this as a wrestling fan. I think there's a lot of times that I'm not thrilled with something, and then 10 years later you look back on it and you're like, oh, that was awesome. I think I did that during the Attitude Era. I'm like, oh, this is so stupid. Val Venus is a porn star. And now we look back on it and say, boy, wasn't that freaking brilliant? So, no, it – it's entertaining. I mean, there's things about it that I would change. Like, I didn't like the fact that they went now to these 
ballooned pay-per-views where both brands are on it. I, I really actually liked when they were having pay-per-views every two weeks, or not pay-per-views, but special events, whatever you want to call it. I liked it. It, it was it was cool knowing, hey, every couple of Sundays I'm going to get you know a pay-per-view quality event. I'm going to get to see some of the stars they're developing from SmackDown and Raw. So I'll tell you, last year I was loving it. Um, yeah, I think there's parts of it that I don't like. I think we're all in agreement that the Roman Reigns character wants to make all of us never watch wrestling again. We just want him to turn heel and become a badass. But no, I mean there's been there's been worse periods. You know, Diesel fought Mabel to main event of SummerSlam. Need I say more? Mm-hmm. I also wonder how much I think about like my my kid and my kid, uh, my older son now watching wrestling is about the age uh I was, maybe a little older when I got uh really into wrestling. He's he's nine. When I was nine I was uh pretty big in, into wrestling. And so when I'm clicking off the, the current product to put in something that's that's more nostalgic that I get into, I, I'll watch back stuff from, you know, eighty five, eighty six and it makes me happy and I enjoy it. But if I'm being honest, that's not better than what I'm watching now. I mean, a lot of it was, was crap. It was like <laughs> and, and Coco Beware and, and Honky Tonk. I mean, it was bad. So I, I wonder how much of it is just about, you know, a, a, a place and time in your life where you were and, and the memories that brings back. Because I also, uh, a few weeks ago, I had uh, Evan Ginsberg on, who's uh, a New York wrestling fan from way back. Um, who's at least a generation sort of um, older than me, and he gets really nostalgic for, like, the Bruno Sammartino era, the 70s and, the, and Madison Square Garden, and I can't watch that stuff. And it's not even that, that bad, but I, but I don't have any connection to it, right? Yeah. So, yeah. What, what, what time do you get nostalgic for? Oh, I get, you know, it's funny. I get nostalgia for a couple of different eras. I started watching right around WrestleMania 6, 7, 8 in that range, so I get nostalgia watching that kind of stuff, the old Hulk Hogan era, Hogan versus Warrior, uh, Macho Man, Ultimate Warrior, and then, you know, Ric Flair and the Real World Championship. But then I also get nostalgic for the Attitude Era because I think about high school, and I think about how everybody in my high school loved professional wrestling, not just the losers, not just me. You know, it was everybody. Everybody loved wrestling. Everybody loved Nitro. Everybody loved Raw. So I think back to the, the not only the Attitude Era, but the war, the Monday Night War, so both of those, those two things really jump out at me, but I mean, it's so true that when you go back and you look at some of the stuff that you're nostalgic about, it's not that good. I mean, one thing about the wrestling today, the wrestling today is actually pretty awesome, I mean, especially if you compare it. So a lot of things don't stand up. I watched WrestleMania 1 and WrestleMania 2, I'd say six months ago, and it was awful. I mean, every match ended in a double countout or a... Squall. It was it was awful. It doesn't stand up at all. So I think you're right. I think a lot of us look back at the time we started watching wrestling, or a memory, in my case, high school, and you think of it as being better than maybe it truly was. The product's not that bad today. I I feel bad saying it is. I think maybe at, maybe at my age I have a higher bar, though. I expect yeah. it to be better than it actually is. Yeah, I think of, of my kid 20 years from now, you know, when Randy Orton's Son is wrestling or something. And, and, and talking about in my day, we had it. You know, had, you know, Roman Reigns. He'll get nostalgic for for this era. So so yeah, there there's definitely some of that. But, uh, another question about uh, mainstream sports. One one thing I'm I'm always super impressed by people like you is that um, I feel like uh, I, I'm not a a a 
a, a legit sports fan, um, a really, other than and like MMA, I, I follow MMA pretty closely, but I, but I feel like one of the trade-offs in my life to be as uh, a passionate about pro wrestling and follow it as closely as, as I do is that I just don't have the bandwidth for any other uh, sports. Um, and, and yet you are, you do all of it, right? So yeah. where, where do you find that bandwidth? I mean, I, I, I can't imagine that there's enough hours in the day to follow all of that, that closely and, and still sort of have time for pro wrestling, which in and of itself is so all consuming, right? Yeah, I think it's two things. Number one, I don't sleep a lot, so sleep's overrated. I have a year-and-a-half-old son, so while I'm rocking him to sleep, I can open my iPad on and watch Raw SmackDown. But the other thing, I started doing this a couple of years ago with sports, and it's evolved into wrestling, is that because I, you know, I take my job seriously, I want to be up-to-date on you know the New York teams because I host the New York Sports Talk Show, I'd set up multiple TVs, and I'd watch the Yankees right next to the Mets. So I watch both games, and I've learned how to watch multiple things at the same time. And over the last few years, I've incorporated wrestling into that, in that, okay, I've got three TVs set up. All right, I'm going to put the Mets on this TV. I'm going to put Monday Night Raw on this TV, and I'm going to put the Yankees on that TV. So I think I've perfected multitasking. And then also on some nights, like last night, I went to the Met game. So when I came home at 1130 at night, I went through Raw quickly, you know, because of DVR, or at least I was able to, and then I got distracted and started watching the WWE Network because I was bored. So... <laughs> It's tough, but I think you, you give other things up. So maybe the television show that a lot of people watch, I'm not watching as much. My television show is pro wrestling. So instead of watching the, the, the hit show on Netflix or whatever, I've got wrestling on. But it's tough because there's only so much time in the day, and you, you run out of time to watch everything. Yeah. It's interesting you said that, that your television show is pro wrestling. Do you, as a sports guy, do you enjoy pro wrestling – as a sport, or as something different? I mean, do you feel that that the way you follow it, your 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 love for it, or your interest in it, is it the same as it is for other sports? It's different because I think when, as a sports fan, I'm a very passionate fan of my teams. So when the Mets don't win, I get upset. You know, the Mets play and they lose a tough game. I'm in a bad mood. Wrestling rarely ever puts me in a bad mood, even if even if an event isn't good. Like backlash wasn't good. It didn't necessarily put me in a bad mood. I wasn't angry about it. So I, I don't get the same negative as I do with sports. But, to, you know, to the other side, I don't get the same positive. You know, if the Mets win a big game, I'm pumped up, I'm excited. As good as a Raw event or a wrestling event will be, I don't think I'll ever have that same joy from it. But I do sort of watch it like a sport. And one of the positives, too, is what I always say, and I'm not into MMA. Now, you are, and you could tell me it's the greatest thing in the world, and maybe it is. But I feel like with boxing and MMA, there's a match, and since it's not scripted, it could be really, really bad. I mean, wrestling, they're writing it so that you're going to get some kind of, hopefully, good conclusion, even if we don't like it, even if we're not a fan of, you know, AJ Styles and Nakamura kicking each other at the same time. They're attempting to give you that exciting conclusion. Well, with a sporting event, the final score may be 45-3. to three. You know, it may not be exciting at all. By the you know, fifth inning, you may want to shut it off. Or a football game by halftime, you may want to shut it off. So I sort of view it as a sport, but it's a scripted sport that they're trying to give you that exciting conclusion that you're not guaranteed to have when you're watching regular sports. And I think that's maybe why it, it gets that much more frustrating when they fall short 
because it's a touchdown. They have control of it. So how right. is this wrong? So backlash is, is a perfect example. And I heard you talking about it on, on your, uh, your podcast, and I had a lot of the, the same thoughts. Why, uh, why wasn't the world title match on last? Now, I, I know the world title match, the reason for that was, was that they were going to do the stupid finish and weren't going to send fans home happy. Uh, why do they put Roman Reigns on last when clearly he's not over and the place and, and they boot him out of the building? So I know there's all kinds of reasons for that, and maybe on paper they made sense. But the frustrating thing is, again, you you control all this, you know. So, uh, right, I mean, I, I, I've watched plenty of MMA fights or, or sports games where there's high hopes and it's a huge letdown, and when it's real life, there's no controlling that, right? I mean, whether it's, uh, you know, the, the main event of, of the UFC show this just past Saturday was awful, awful, five rounds right. as all hell. Um, in, in wrestling, that that shouldn't happen, right? I mean, uh, but I think the flip side of that is that it also makes the highs higher. So uh, I, I don't know if you follow Japanese wrestling uh, at all. I, I don't very closely, but uh, th- those Okada Omega matches last year that people talked about is literally the greatest matches of all time. When you watch those, it's absolutely riveting. And I think what you described as that pump that you feel after, like, the Mets winning a game – that does exist in pro wrestling. It's just maybe fewer and further between. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I mean, there there are moments and memories when something is so good that you'll remember it, and it gives you that excitement at the end, or you get a big surprise. Sometimes if there's a big surprise on Raw, which they rarely have anymore because it's always so predictable, or they're basically announcing it before it happens. Like if they if they ever, and this really annoyed me, if they didn't announce that Daniel Bryan was cleared, but it came out of nowhere. I probably would have gotten that feeling. If all of a sudden at the Royal Rumble, his music came out, and that's how he found out he was cleared, I could totally see that being kind of like that great ending to a Met game where you're really excited and you're talking about it. But it's few and far between. Like you said, it doesn't, doesn't happen nearly as often. But it does make the bar higher because, since, like you said, since you are able to script it and you are able to give you that exciting conclusion, you expect it. And it better be there. And if it's not there, it's a big-time disappointment. And I think I get annoyed more when WrestleMania doesn't end well because I still have a very high bar for WrestleMania. That's the that's the the number one wrestling event, obviously, of the year, and you want that main event to be awesome. You want it to be as dramatic as you know the Ultimate Warrior upsetting Hulk Hogan. At least I thought it was an upset when I was <laughs> seven years old. I didn't know what was going to happen. I figured Hogan was winning the Intercontinental Title. It was title for title. <laughs> that's what I thought. So I think with WrestleMania, that my bar is really, really high. So when you get a really boring Roman Reigns-Undertaker match, and then the Undertaker retires, or you think he retires, but then he really didn't retire, and he comes back a year later in some bizarre match that really wasn't even a match, that pisses me off. I was actually angry about that. I was as angry as if the Mets blew a three-run lead in the ninth inning. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm thinking about it. I can't remember when's the last time a WrestleMania main event really delivered uh, fantastic match, and it used to be almost a gimme every year that you'd have like a match to be contender main event. And I think you've got to go back at least I don't know five years or more. The Rock and John Cena at, at MetLife. You know what one? You know which one I would give you? I thought that Brock Roman Reigns was very good, and Seth Cashingin was very good. That's just me though. I I thought that delivered. Because of the moment, but the, not that the math was all that great, but that moment was a great moment. See, I, 
I, maybe I'm nuts. I really like that match. I don't know why. I, I, I like all the power moves, and, you know, I, I'm not a fan of Roman Reigns. I didn't like the idea of that being the main event, but for whatever reason, I, I was a sucker for it. I actually enjoyed the match even before Seth Rollins interfered, but that, that could just be me. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of this year's WrestleMania? I got to go, and I had a really good time. That might have sort of, uh, you know, given me a different view um, in, in that I had the whole experience. But I think, like like most people, I felt the first half, first third of the show was fantastic. They were on pace to one of the best WrestleManias ever, and then it kind of went off the rails. Yeah, well, when you have six hours of wrestling, there's a good chance that's going to happen. That's why they have to cut it down a little bit, or they're just going to make it a festival. I'm waiting for the day where WrestleMania is a festival and it's 12 hours long. You know, people have brought up the idea of, of splitting it up over two days, and maybe that's not the worst idea in, in the world, that you've got maybe two three-hour shows instead of one six-hour show or seven-hour show. Uh, so It's not a bad idea. I mean, this is, I mean, it's better than let's have WrestleMania at three different venues like they try to WrestleMania, too. It's, it's not the worst idea in the world, because here's the problem, especially if you're at the, in the building like you were. You know, I can't sit there for more than two, three hours. My butt yeah. starts to hurt. I want to get up. I don't want to be sitting here anymore. And then if you lose the crowd, you lose the people at home. Because I know sitting at home, I want the crowd to be into it. If the crowd's not into it, it almost it's infectious almost to the point where now I'm not into it. So yeah. it's really important that you have an excited crowd. And it's tough to keep a crowd excited if they're sitting there for six hours. Yes, yes, I, I know firsthand. On the topic again of, of sort of mainstream uh, pro wrestling coverage, do, do you think it – for, for a long time, the thought was that uh, um, sports reporters, legitimate mainstream sports uh, uh, news people, the ESPNs of the world, could not cover pro wrestling because it is work. It's not, not really a sport. Somehow, we, we've seen um, pro wrestling coverage bleed into ESPN. And, you know, for, before uh, Jonathan Coachman came back to WWE, he was sort of their WWE reporter, and they started doing more and more of that. And, and over WrestleMania weekend this past week, there was a lot of coverage uh, on, on ESPN. How do the two coexist? I think there are some people who would watch that and still not feel right about it, especially if you're not a wrestling fan and you're following ESPN for your, your hockey team and your basketball team, and all of a sudden they're doing a segment on a, on a worked pro wrestling event. Can the two coexist? In my eyes, they can't. I mean, and, and I'm someone that loves pro wrestling and I love sports and I just think it's weird because even though I view it sometimes as the scripted sports ending and I may look at it as a fan as a sport, I also know it's a work and I also know that it's scripted. And I also, instead of getting angry at a wrestler when a match isn't good sometimes, I get angry at the writers that they didn't, you know, give us a better storyline. So it's, to me, it's weird. I'm still not really used to it and I still don't really like it. I mean, I'll watch ESPN, don't get me wrong, whether it's an NBA playoff game or even a highlight show. But when they, when they do wrestling, it's, it's, it's two worlds that I love, but they feel very awkward together. Because how do you talk about something that's, that's a work, that's scripted, when in the next breath you're talking about is LeBron James Michael Jordan? So, they're, and I don't know what, I guess ESPN's motivation is to spread out their appeal to a lot of different people, and I get why WWE likes it. So it's a marriage that makes sense for both sides. But for me personally, I find it really odd. I'm not a fan of it. Yeah. And I think the other part that is, is sort of a little off-putting is if you're going to cover it, then you really have to cover it. And, and I've sent um, with, with some mainstream sports 
uh, uh, news organizations, when it comes to kind of some of the nitty gritty, whether it is uh, drug suspensions or uh, Enzo Amore leaving the company because he was under this, this accusation of, of raping a woman, none of that stuff gets touched. So it feels like uh, they, they kind of want to have their they, they want to have fun talking about pro wrestling and all that. But the stuff that would be covered if it was the NBA or Major League Baseball, uh, my sense is that it, it, it stayed away from it. I'm not sure why. I don't know if it's just that it feels that this is such a kind of a, a, a silly, goofy kind of thing that you don't want to mar it down with it, it being too heavy-handed. Or if it speaks to the control that WWE has over some of the media that, that follows it. It's, it's probably the control, and that's what makes it so odd because leagues should not control the message on a network, and for the most part, they're really not able to, and this is essentially a league, or at least they're treating it that way. So it, it's probably that. It's probably the fact that Vince McMahon and the WWE, they don't want that type of stuff discussed, and that's the problem. You know, when people talk professional wrestling, when they break it down, when they debate it, there's a, to me, at least as a fan, there's a way to talk about it. And that's, we know it's scripted. This is what I would do. This is what they would do. And it's stuff that the WWE really, even on their network, I know they're kind of more open to talking about the inner workings of it, especially on the documentaries. But that's how, like, real wrestling fans talk about it. We, we yell about Roman Reigns turning heel and about why they should change his character and not talk about it in this, you know, fairy tale kind of way. That's why it's part of the reason why it's not really appealing. Are you okay with WWE talking about it that way? I was just watching the other day one of those table for, for three things, and it was Shane, uh, AJ Styles, and Kurt Angle. And uh, they're just laughing about, oh, the time we did this in a match, and, and, and uh, you know, talking about these blood feuds. And I remember we went to the back, and we, were, we talked about this, and we hugged. And I get it, but there's still part of me that, Kind of uneasy with, with that dude. Yeah, yeah. Okay. it it's it's weird, but I think to make that network appealing, a lot of the stuff I end up watching on the network, besides old Raws, are the documentaries. And if you're going to have a documentary, whether it's the Bret Hart Shawn Michaels rivalry, or it's interviews, or it's the table for three that you're talking about, you you gotta you gotta talk about it as if it is what it is. So. I know it's weird because then we turn the TV on and we're supposed to go into pretend world that everybody hates each other. When five minutes ago we were watching a documentary where everybody loves each other, we're joking around about this and that and this. But I think to make the network appealing and work, you sort of have to do it. It, it is weird, though, I admit. There's a, there's a weird – because my dad grew up watching Bruno San Martino, and they would never even – they wouldn't even look at the guy they were wrestling with backstage. Like everything was – we got to keep this going on. We can't travel with the same guy. I, what was the story where McMahon fired, I forget who it was, was it Sergeant Slaughter, whomever? I saw Jim Duggan and the Iron Chief were caught together. That was it. You're right. They were arrested. Uh, I don't know if they were arrested, but they were I guess, summoned for, for having weed. They were smoking weed in the car, and the stories got out, and McMahon was pissed not that they were drugs, <laughs> but that they were caught being together. Right, which is so old school. I mean, it's the most old school thing in the world. Now, it couldn't be any more different. You've got documentaries about guys talking about, oh, yeah, we hated each other, all right, but we really loved each other. So it's just a different world. It's, it's weird, but I've kind of accepted that. 
Yeah, yeah. I think we're we're still kind of, I guess, in that learning curve where, where there's sort of an evolution. And I do think maybe it's one of the, the underreported um, stories is that th- this is, as I touched on uh, before, this, this is a, a time and, and, and an era and there, uh, you know, I think 10 years from now, 20 years from now, people may look back at this time that week-to-week fans who follow it think it's a bull or, oh, Roman Reigns have thinking up another main event. But I think we're this is a really special time for for pro wrestling these years that we're in right now, and it might take a while um, to to appreciate that down the road. Uh, yeah, and it, and it all depends on what's next, you know. Because if yeah. what's next is something we don't like, then I think it'll make this look era look even better, and yeah. you look back on it fonder. I'm already looking back at the Daniel Bryan angle where whether it was an angle or not, where he wasn't even in the Royal Rumble and he's not going to main event WrestleMania. Instead, we're getting Batista against Randy Orton. And then the way they were able to change things, I already looked back at that as like one of the greatest things I've ever seen. And maybe at the time I wasn't appreciating it as much. Yeah, yeah. And I think there's some of that going on now even. I mean, certainly um, with with NXT uh, and, and other promotions and even WWE. I mean, I think AJ Styles is one of the best wrestlers uh, we've ever seen, and we're seeing him right now, like work his magic in the ring week to week, and yeah, yeah years from now, but we appreciate it. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, on, on your show, I mean, do, do you do you want to expand on this? I mean, are you, are you looking to talk more and more wrestling, or or do you appreciate that there's only you know so much room for this on on a sports show? I, I sort of, as much as I love talking wrestling, and I could do, especially after a big event, I could do hours on it and take calls on it and the whole thing. I, it being sacred and being separate from a sports talk show is still still best. And it being almost in a weird way taboo to talk about wrestling is still best. It's less taboo as we talked about where I can get away with talking more about it. But I don't know if I would ever want what we do to become completely intertwined. Yeah. Uh, it's a little bit easier because my radio partner doesn't know about wrestling, doesn't really care about wrestling. He tolerates me. So he'll he'll tolerate me talking about something, but yeah, he would want to sit there for hours upon hours talking about it. So I still like a little bit of separation, and I still like it being not completely intertwined. Yeah, yeah, no, I hear you. Yeah. All right, man. Thank you so much. This was a lot of fun. So, so your show is uh, eleven to one. We're ten to one. Ten to one in New York on WFAN and WFAN.com and. Every once in a while, I record a podcast about something that I randomly wanted to talk about. That, that's, yeah. that's basically my attitude. It's my way of letting out my aggression when I can't be on the radio. Yeah, and, and again, I, that, that's where I was listening to you. And, uh, yeah, I think, I think you nailed it. I mean, I think your insights are, are spot on, you know. And, and very often with, again, sort of legit news people, their, their sort of understanding of, of pro wrestling is sometimes limited, but – no, I, th- I think you're, uh, you're you're right on in, in your viewpoints and all that. So I appreciate that. Thank you very much, anyway, sir. This is a lot of fun. I appreciate it. We got to do it again. Awesome, man. Thank you for having okay. me.